0: Today's guest is an innovative thought leader. She envisions a brighter future for everyone. She uses her platform to amplify the voices of first-generation students and people of color. She is the president and CEO of an organization that I'm a huge fan of, the Opportunity Network. Ladies and gentlemen, Aileen Koo. Welcome, Aileen.
1: Thanks for having me today, Dan.
0: Well, okay, there's so many things I love doing about podcasts since I've started doing podcasts. But one of them is I get to talk to people who not only I admire and inspire me, but also are making a really big difference in the world. And the organization that, like my, one of my really good friends is co-founder of, and now you're you're at the reins and you're running, um, has impacted so many kids. And it's called the Opportunity Network for those of you who don't know. And one of the things I'm most passionate about is getting the hospitality industry to receive some of the most amazing kids that you guys are mentoring from high school through college and then placing them in internships. Because one of the things, and I don't think you guys coined this, but something that resonated with me with one of the first dinners or or events that I ever went to, it was that um, talent is uniformly distributed but opportunity is not. So tell everyone, what the Opportunity Network is all about and how you're making a difference in the world.
1: Sure. So, OPNET is a national nonprofit organization, and we do two things. One, we work with young people directly in an after-school, out-of-school setting, and that's primarily here in New York City. We work with them, like you said, the summer after 10th grade, all the way through college graduation. And we work with them on dismantling barriers to opportunities, so that means um, access to information about college, access to information about jobs, Um, and also what are the skill sets they need to thrive in those opportunities. On the other side of the house, we work with institutions. We work with public high schools. We work with um, colleges and universities, and we work with employers so that they're setting the conditions to help young people of color, many of whom are the first in their families to go to college, um, all young people of color to thrive in their settings, right? And so we do both of those things here in New York very deeply and then across the nation.
0: So one of the the things that, I was just amazed by it was um, the, the kids that you're bringing into the program, they are awesome. And as you said, or as I said, many of them are first generation um, and people of color. Oftentimes, most of them, it's the first time they've ever gone to college, anyone in their family. So to be able to like sit with them and hear their stories and also just see how comfortable that they were Just being in these kind of like, almost like speed dating type situations where just getting peppered with questions and their composure, it was just totally inspiring. And uh, it's just so great to be a part of an organization like this, where we can create awareness and let people know that, hey, there's a whole hospitality industry and we build these great environments or we run these hotels and they're just like, wow, tell me more about that. And the kids are just so incredibly thoughtful.
1: They are. And I think they. what we love about speed networking, the event that we run every year, three or four times a year across all of our grade levels, and we support our partners in putting those events um, up for their communities is there's all this work that leads up to it, right? Mm -hmm. All the work, um, the first thing that we do is helping our young people feel like, one, they belong in every setting they enter. Right, And that's a huge thing to, for them to feel and to start building confidence. Because once they have that confidence, they have the comfort level to engage with professionals and say, hey, tell me more about you, tell me about your job, tell me more about this hospitality industry so that I can learn for me what, where I might fit in in terms of my, my career ambitions. Right, And we also do a lot of technical training. So we all of our students go through marketing your assets. Marking your assets in the way where they can talk about themselves grounded in evidence and grounded in things they're really proud to share about their communities what they've achieved thus far as 15 16 year olds uh, and how to invite people in in conversation so that it's a give and a take right and so it's not just a one-way conversation which I think oftentimes when you hear the word networking it could feel as if you're just trying to you know move around the room trying to collect up business cards.
0: No, it it totally, (laughs) so it wasn't that at all. It was really, okay, yeah, you're doing all that stuff. You're moving around. But each interaction was so, for me, thoughtful and engaging and inspiring. Like these kids are freaking awesome. And I think the other thing, something that you just said a minute ago, which was teaching them how to just be comfortable in any room or any environment that they walk into. I think part of that, one of the things that struck me was one of the young men I was um helping coach on writing his college essay. He was first generation from Bangladesh. His name is Muhammad. And he, when we started off the first meeting, he's like, Yeah, English is my second language. I'm not a good writer. I don't really have much to say. And I'm like, Really? So tell me about that. Like, where are you from? And he started telling what did it smell like? Like, what was it like when the sun came up? What do you remember? How did, and then I started writing all this down, just asking him all these questions. And then I read back to him like this kind of crazy arc he just threw out at me. And I was like, wait, so you have nothing to say. He's like, Oh, he laughed. He's like, I guess I do. And then, uh, I think part of it was how do you teach these kids to be vulnerable in a way that they can be comfortable in any room and be like, Hey, I don't know everything. Cause I don't know everything either. And you don't know everything either, but how do you get them to really be comfortable with being vulnerable like that?
1: Well, well, I think you did something beautiful and amazing, which is you ask questions, right. And you help them see themselves in such a beautiful and dynamic light. Mm. And, And we try to do that every step that we have in the way that we interact with our young people. And so I would say one is bringing in speakers and guests and for staff to model for our young people that we make mistakes, we don't know everything. And when we don't know it, we'll try to figure it out together, right? And so for so long, our students, our alumni, they say, tell us, bring in more speakers that are willing to talk about failures and mistakes. Because that's where the interesting things happen. We are less interested in this perfect, beautiful journey, how one person got from point A to point B to point C, because that's unrealistic. And so we took that feedback really, really, really um, deeply. And so we said, okay, let's make sure every speaker we bring in, every interaction we have, we gesture to the idea of mistakes and failures. And so when we normalize it right in conversation, then it becomes normalized for our young people, right. In the way that they can talk about it as share and share their experiences without this undue burden of shame, right. That yeah. carries with that, that usually goes with making mistakes.
0: So I love that you're bringing, and, and I'm actually jealous because I wish that, um, When I was younger, I wish someone would come up to me and say, hey, tell me about your failures and mistakes. Learn from them. I see it all now, like as a 46-year-old old old dude, but like I I, I remember failing. I failed so many times, but right. Every time you fail, you get back up, right? Or we hope we all get back up. Um, One of the times that was most powerful to me is I was in a very dark place after a failure, and I was riding on a bus with my daughter up to actually to go see Lisa and Frank, who I was just telling you about. They had a place up in the in the Catskills. And um, there was a woman sitting in front of me with a, a computer and she was typing and typing. I think she was coding something. And she kept leaning forward. Her shirt said something and I don't know what it exactly was. I couldn't read it. And then she leaned all the way forward once and it just said failure is just unfinished learning. And it really, it was like one of those signposts that helped me see some light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And to hear you starting with these kids at sometimes four, 15 years old, 16 years old, to start thinking about that, it, they have such a leg up from everyone. Because I think we're all so full of shame and don't want to go there and, and learn from those stories.
1: Right. Well, I mean, especially our opnet students. So we recruit from high schools. And these students are coming to us with a GPA of 85 and above. So they're not used to, definitely not used to academic failure.
0: Oh, That's right. Cause they're all amazing. Like they're all super. Yeah. They're they're all so smart and amazing and thoughtful and and detail oriented. Yeah.
1: So every year we ask our students in our application, like what are two or three words you would describe yourself. And the most used word is always funny. And I love that about our students, the way they see themselves is rooted in joy. And how amazing is that? Um, and, and so I was, so anyways, now I'm getting off topic, but well, to be um,
0: to be a highly performing at 85 or higher GPA, Yes. like, how do you, what are strategies that you guys have to make them feel comfortable with talking about their failures? Because oftentimes we all have this facade up, like, how do we break through that?
1: I think it helps when we, in conversation, we can't know everything, right? And Mm -hmm. so a student might come to us and say, tell me all the ways uh, to be a success in hospitality. If one of our students came to me today, 15 minutes from now, asked me that question, my answer would be, I don't know, but let's figure it out together, Mm -hmm. right? I think in other kind of in, especially in the educator and student dynamics, it oftentimes can be like, oh, here are the three things that I know. And this is the way to go. But you can really steer somebody off track by pretending you know more than you actually do and not admitting to kind of that, that inadequacy. And that's, a version of modeling for our students, you can be vulnerable, right? You don't have to know all the answers. We can figure it out. And showcasing places where we, where we made a mistake. So we ask for students for feedback all the time. They probably wanna do less of it. They're You ask them too many questions and too many surveys. Um, and so we say, how can we do better? Tell us. And tell us how we can do better out of all the workshops you did, which ones were your favorite? Which ones were the most useful? And which ones you'd be like, probably never again. Right. And that's important feedback for us. And then we re- reflect that back and said, this is what you told us. We I th- We missed the mark on this. Thank you for the feedback. Here's how we're going to do better.
0: Yeah. And I also can't imagine being a family that moves to the United States that probably doesn't speak English as their first language that would come in and then be navigating whatever school system they're in. Then it's like, oh my God, placement tests, classes, this and that, colleges, like what is all this stuff and how how do we even navigate all that? And just, it's really just about making them feel comfortable, but you've done such a good job of it holistically. Like just to give us, to give all the listeners a, um, an order of magnitude to get their head around, like how many kids have gone through the program from high school through college into internships and now as alums, how many kids have you impacted positively since OpNet was started?
1: So OpNet was founded 19 years ago. And so folks that have graduated, gone through the whole trajectory um, are roughly about 450 students in that mm-hmm. category. And this year, and because with it, when we first started, we served a small classes of students, 10, 15 at most Mm-hmm. And over the past eight years, we really grew as an organization. So this year alone we're serving 1,100 students uh, from high school all the way through college. So these are students who have not yet graduated.
0: Wow. And then, so as they apply, they get into Opportunity Network. You guys are coaching them through all of your networking, awareness, education, and just guidance. Um and this ties into the title of the podcast but like how do you make them comfortable how do you express hospitality towards them
1: we so in our sector there's something called cultural con- competent uh, and culturally relevant pedagogy so mm-hmm. it's the idea that before you're in a room you first anticipate where the cultures that are going to be represented and to use examples and anecdotes that reflect back the lived experiences and the cultural experiences of our young people. And so we do that through a number of ways. And so when we facilitate courses and especially right now in virtual learning, let's take a really easy example. What are the images that you see? Do you see people that look like you, right? And do we use references that are familiar to you? And do we use stories to speak back to what other alumni who have very similar experiences or perhaps grew up in similar uh, neighborhoods or communities also share, right? And so kind of creating the sense of familiarity and comfort is, is woven throughout everything that we do in the way that we talk to our students in the way that they see themselves in the curriculum, right? In the way that we bring in our guests and speakers and highlight and amplify story. So it's in every element, every corner you turn right? Our students can see themselves, a version of themselves somewhere reflected. And that's really, really important. And we also, you know, I think it's also creating a, a uh, our staff does a really, really good job with this, uh, creating conditions for comfort, laughter, joy, and care. So what's the culture of care at OpNet? That you can come to us with something that isn't related to college and career, and will still help you figure it out, right? We don't say, sorry, that's not my job. Please go away, right? And so that culture of care is also really important. Um, and we have an assistant director of wellness supports and his name is Carl, and he supervises a team of social work interns whose job is to identify the set of resources that tend to our students' wellness, overall wellness. And that's another extension of culture of care that we do.
0: So when I hear you talk about all these things from laughter to joy to culture of care and wellness, like to me, those are all words that are very dra- value driven, right? So if you think about the values and purpose of OpNet, like what are your values and how do you live by them? And how do you use them to build a culture?
1: So we have, we have we have our active core values and I'll name a few. Um, that and also share examples for how we live them. One is that we value the collective and we care about the individual. So we hold both collective as the community sense, as well as what each individual needs in order to thrive and that person's ability to self-determine their futures, right, their goals. And so we do this in a couple of ways. Um, And so in the collective sense is how do we build community? How do we curate a class? How do we bring folks together so they can exchange ideas, learn about each other, even from in New York, this is a very New York City thing, right? Just kind of expanding your idea of what the other borough is about. (laughs) We have lovely, we have the best kind of competition among the different boroughs people will be like go bronx go brooklyn right people are, and we have staten island in there don't forget
0: we, staten island i was going to say never forget
1: staten island when we moved downtown um, 5 years ago was the first year we were we were able to bring in students from staten island and we haven't stopped since so it's very exciting for us um, and so just this just this exchange right and holding collectives and building community based on shared shared um, characteristics or histories or lived experiences. And then from the individual side is we allow for nuance and for each individual to come up and say there's no one set way to do anything. Mm. Right. We're going to move you through a college guidance process, for example, where you get to learn about the 101s of what does it mean to apply to college? What are the processes? What's the paperwork you need and what's the common app, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, each one of our students have one-on-one individual guidance with our staff and they sit and they say what does fit mean for you college fit means different things for different people and so and that's where the kind of our students get really really excited to think about the possibilities because they you know what really matters to me greek life some of our students will say that. And you're like, I didn't, I had no idea. Okay, let's use that as a starting point. And some of our students will say, what really matters to me is that there are scientific research opportunities,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And some be like, I don't actually know. I need you to help me figure that out and calibrate. So we allow for that individualism to show up. So it's both the collective and the individual. Now, the next piece, which I know you'll love and speaks to you, which brings folks like you into our, into our fold, into our community, is how much we love the power of storytelling. Storytelling in the way that you can claim your identity, be proud of it, and also use it as the lever to chart the path forward, right? What's the story you want to tell about yourself? And what's the story you want to claim for your family and for generations to come? And so we use the storytelling piece, like you were saying earlier, uh, in your work with Mohammed, right? The kind of just asking questions Mm -hmm. and have them reflect and see, see backwards. Wow. The, how amazing, uh, you know, their family have been there for them, helping them and supporting them and fueling their ambitions to go to the colleges that they're excited to go into um, and apply for them and all that good stuff. So storytelling is another one and then we have a bunch of other uh active core values that we have but centering social justice right and so at opnet we work entirely with young people of color and so we have to center our values around what does it mean not only just to do good but to do what is working our way towards justice for our young people if you think about the systems at play what barriers they face just the moment from the moment they wake up The moment they open their eyes and what can we do to break down those barriers?
0: So, wow. So just kind of unpacking all that, because I love the idea of storytelling. And from my experience with Muhammad and just all the so many of the other kids um, or students that I experienced through going through OptNet, when you understand, or I'm not even say you, when they understand, or when we all understand the story of where we came from, and then also understand that we have the ability to chart that course forward, like you said, it's so empowering, right? And it's so intentional. And I know that you you just briefly gla- gla- uh, glanced upon the fact that you have wellness supports um, as well for, for the students, but if you really think about it, and in being intentional, it's really all about supporting wellness and, and a well-rounded individual and giving them that confidence that they can chart their own course forward. And it's it's just humbling to see how many kids that you you have brought up through this system and have matriculated onward, and then how everyone just seems to be paying it forward. And as you think about collective uh, value value the collective but also care about the individual I think it also goes towards the ultimate question of this podcast which is like because it's like so in alignment with all the conversations I'm having but how do you define hospitality
1: hospitality to me is a feeling and a state of exchange Mm -hmm. uh, and exchanging care exchanging culture um, and it feels like You're being wrapped in a warm blanket of your own choice. (laughs) That's what hospitality feels like to me.
0: But I love that you just said a warm blanket of your own choice, because then again, it comes back to this idea of being intentional and having a choice, right? Again, going back to that family that comes from who knows where, lands in the United States, they made a choice to get to hear in some way, shape, or form. They didn't know what was gonna come next. And in fact, the Byzantine insanity of just navigating everything is just so overwhelming, but it's always, it's constantly making choices and moving forward. Um, and ha- And realizing that we all have a say in what our future is. Even though some of us may not feel that we do, I think ultimately we all do. As long as we can all f- uncover our purpose which is what you are helping all these all these amazing kids do. And then also provide care and support and love, unconditional love. I think if you have purpose and unconditional love, everything is achievable.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Huh. I love that. So as you are getting into like you also mentioned social justice a lot so then if you think about all these amazing students that are coming through they're applying you're helping them tell, write their own story write their own story plan their own future like what are some of the most incredible outcomes of from a perspective of social justice that you've seen if you can give us some give us some examples
1: in the context of Opnet's work yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and, and you're arming all these kids. You're educating them. You're opening their eyes, creating creating awareness, like helping them, supporting them on this path. Like, walk me through some shining examples of social justice.
1: I think the examples uh, of sit with institutions. I want to say so. I, so, on the so we work with young people. We also work with institutions, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use institutions as an example because the way we think about social justice is where people in mass experience justice as opposed to one person accessing justice, right? And so in that, through that frame, I will use examples working with employers. So Opnet has a program called Opportunity Ignited. We work with employer partners to train their managers up and partner with them to create conditions where talent of color can thrive, right? And that's from interns all the way into the C-suite, right? So it's not just about pipelining from the very kind of entry-level jobs. So that means looking at policy structures, how you hire, how you support, how you sponsor, how you promote, everything in between, but then also how do you manage and examples of that is having people getting aha moments where they realize they, managers, hiring managers or supervisors have the power just to make somebody feel seen, included and belong in their day-to-day job. And when that happens in critical mass, workplaces transform, right? And so we don't use You know, diversity metrics as proxies for a thriving environment. And so when every manager can say, okay, when my colleague of color is being interrupted in meetings, I'm going to stop that from happening. When I see my colleagues of color not being promoted at the same rate as their counterparts, their white counterparts, I'm going to say something. Or, There's other examples of looking at, you know, mentorship programs and sponsorship programs, which are different, right? So we talk often about what does it mean to mentor somebody versus what does it mean to sponsor someone? So mentorship, it's a one-on-one relationship. It's that person that's really there to cheerlead with you, reflect back with you, support you, and you have a level of vulnerability with them. A sponsor may not have a relationship with you, but they know about you and they know about what skill sets and talent that you bring to the table. And they say your name when you're not in the room. And they make sure you're accessing opportunities, right? In, in those rooms and at those tables. And we want our young people to have both. And so when that's happening in mass, in workplaces, you can fundamentally change how justice is accessed in the workplace for people of color.
0: And you said three things, being seen, feeling seen, feeling included, and feeling heard. Through all of these conversations, and as far as making others feel comfortable and discussing hospitality, and I feel like those are just the three basic human needs, right? I mean, I'm sure there's more, but you know, as not an expert in delivering hospitality, but a fan of, like, I know when I experience someone else making me feel comfortable, or I know when I make someone else feel comfortable. It's really how do and it's coming up whether it's in shelters that from people from guests that i've spoken to from hotels to businesses to anywhere it's just how do we let people know that we yeah i see you i'm including you and i hear you
1: yeah so i'm doing this research project um with mit media lab and an artificial intelligence company called um local voices network and
0: it's mit media lab
1: yes and um I'm conducting, so my, I have a team of facilitators that are conducting 10 in-depth conversations with um, BIPOC talent and talking about the future of work. And we are seven conversations in, and I can tell you three primary themes that come up over and over again that what this next class of our workforce is looking for. They're looking for opportunity, They're looking for autonomy and they're looking for humanity. These three things come up over and over again. And these are diverse folks from all across the nation. Some of them are going to college. Some of them are not, and it doesn't matter. These three things continue to anchor what the, what everyone wants. I don't think it's news, right? It's so simple and so complex at the same time,
0: but like, let's break that down. That's amazing. Those three big points, because, you know, it it also goes into, I've talked to people who have written books on building a company culture, for instance, where it's worth doing wrong is the name of one of the books. Mm -hmm. Hey, just it's for your people. It's worth doing wrong. Just try it because if everyone has a say in the culture that they're a part of corporately, whether it's hospitality or finance or law or whatever, everyone has an opportunity to be a part of that, have a part of that, and also have an opportunity for growth. On the autonomy thing, that's really resonating with me tremendously now. You know, everyone talks about the three-day work week or the four or five-day or four-day or remote hybrid. That autonomy, I don't think is going away, but it also provides a whole bunch of challenges on the other side. Like how do you, if you're autonomous, how do you make them feel a part of the, the culture? How do you make them, give them an opportunity to feel a part of that? And then on the humanity side, again, I think that's those three things, seen, included, and heard. So in unpacking all these through the, whatever, I think you said AI or machine learning or something like that, how are you you having those seven conversations and how are they getting distilled into these three points?
1: So these are the three themes that I've heard. And what I love about this um, platform is these are human-centered, humans-facilitated conversations, and the conversations gets transcribed. And what mm-hmm. happens to the transcribed conversations? They go into this artificial intelligence platform, and it catalogs the conversations. And it catalogs the conversations so you can actually see the conversations the way they've been cataloged. So you can see if, I, if you're kind of searching for the word autonomy, right? Mm-hmm it essentially helps you see all the places in the conversation where derivatives of that word shows up and how often it is being said. So you can actually, it's, it's essentially a qualitative research tool. So we are, we're doing 10 of them. So we're seven in, and these are the, the primary things that we've been hearing. Um, and the group is called Local Voices Network. It's a part of Cortico AI. And it's an incredible tool and it's intended to amplify com- community conversations. Mm. Right? And so we have folks who are in college, folks who don't want to go to college and currently in the job force, folks who have graduated from college, and we ask them, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And how do you define the future of work? And so these are, this is um, how the three themes have come up.
0: And I'm curious, if you went back 10 years ago, what do you think they would have been? Or did they, how, how long do they have data? Have those three themes evolved?
1: think they have evolved I think they have the the piece around humanity is basic and also nuanced I think it kind of reflects back to our world if you had asked us 10 years ago what humanity meant in the workplace
0: Mm -hmm. it might
1: have sounded more like autonomy
0: oh
1: (laughs) right in the sense that you like in the in the current discourse of what folks are asking for from their employers I think if you think about it 10 years ago it's like oh I want more flexible schedule I want to be able to work from home right so the ability to actually tend to life and work at the same time is is what I you know in my point of view what I think how folks might have interpreted like and defined humanity which is different from everybody wants to be seen and heard but I think if you fast forward now in the kind of with the pandemic with racial reckoning in the united states and what we're what's in the public discourse now i think the humanity definition is actually much more expansive mm-hmm. um, and more inclusive uh, of voices from from various uh demographic
0: folks so now like i always like to talk about this like i call it a star trek future where there's where is where at some point where we realize like we're all people and our differences are really not that great. We're just we're all people. Now I understand we're in a place where we have to work really hard to get to that level of equity or equilibrium. But how do you see things playing out in from your worldview within the next I don't know five years twenty years like where where I feel like we're in this like. Super um, hyper speed lurch forward to where everyone is being seen, included, and heard. But we still have so much farther to go. Like, how are you see? How do you see it in like in the big picture?
1: Uh, I see the big picture, inclusive of more being better at holding. The tension of the past with our future. And what I mean by that is when I look at the jobs and the places where our young people work, both small companies, large companies, Fortune 500 companies, small community based organizations, there's still a tension in which I I think where voices and ideas from folks of color are not yet taking on the weight the space that it ought to to be Mm -hmm. fully participants of those conversations full participants of those conversations so until that happens we're not truly we can we can be very similar in terms of like we're all humans and people at the end of the day but we're still being treated differently Mm -hmm. which which is prevents us from being active participants of designing that future right and so what i see in the big picture is that we do course correct for that we do need to center more young people of color and what they see as the future so that we can expand what our imagination has allowed us to see thus far because we haven't even asked we have to ask them right and just well and that goes back
0: that goes back to the beginning of what you were saying where it's like asking all these questions do you see you here
1: yes and but then i see but it's also it takes human one-on-one interactions where you sat down with muhammad and said i have all these questions for you and Mm -hmm. that fundamentally changed how he saw himself Mm -hmm. and so that we keep building from there right because i think it's a it's about being a part of the conversation and we can't be a part of the conversation if we're not invited in right and so i think it's so i think it's both folks making more space i think folks taking up more space and so that we can actually um you know shape the future together right because it's not about one one party over the other
0: yeah and Something about that you said resonated, whereas having, we're staying in tension with the past, right? Okay. So we're charting this course forward, but it's almost as if that, like, we have to respect the past. We have to see where we came from because that's also part of our story. That's the, that's how we arm ourselves to be intentional about the the story we're going to write going forward. Mm -hmm. And then I also think bringing it all back to hospitality, that's what I love about hotels restaurants bars because if really done well they're not these buildings or or environments that just land on some a foreign planet that exist just by themselves they bring in the community they promote they promote collisions between people that you're there with to, intentionally and then also the person sitting next to you or the person you're standing next to at a check-in and i do feel like we really have to overcorrect now Coming out of this whole pandemic because we've gotten so siloed, right? And everything is so remote that we need to do everything we can to bring us all together. And actually, that's why I'm really excited for um the OpNut gala that's coming up on May 4th, because you didn't do it last year or the year before. And I'm just, I think this is maybe the first big gala that I'm gonna be going to that's not an industry-related a thing for me, but something that I'm really passionate about and just to be able to see people and see these kids and see where they, where they've gone and like hear more stories. I'm so freaking excited. And I think we're all thirsty for that.
1: Yeah, same. I mean, it'll be our coming back to partying party.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be amazing. And then I'm also just, you know, when, when you have your, um, you give out awards to students, um, and just to hear their story, where they have this huge platform, and just everyone is there listening and and hearing them and seeing them, I mean, some of the stories I've heard over the years are just humbling and inspiring at the same time.
1: Yeah, and we ask our students. You know, we we do an open casting call almost. Say, who has a story that you want to tell, and what is that story? Mm-hmm. We that's a big invitation and a big ask right and we get these beautiful stories and they're so moving and at the core of it you're going to hear opportunity you're going to hear autonomy and you're going to hear right um the humanity piece
0: I love it and also just charting back to you know how you're on here on this defining hospitality podcast i don't i think it was 2019 just before the the pandemic happened. I think it was 2019. I interviewed Brian Weinstein, Weinstein, who was a friend of mine, but also co-founder of Opportunity Network in Los Angeles at this independent lodging congress event, and he was just telling his his experience of being involved in some of the impacts that they had that he had on students and that he just seen with students over the years. And then I was like, I was so inspired in front of like 300 people. I was like, Oh my god. I wanna get this into our industry. I wanna get five interns placed in hospitality. And then the pandemic happened. Uh, Again, failure being unfinished learning. I think that for so many of these students coming out and for anyone really, this the path, the, the career path and the trajectory of that career path within hospitality is so steep right now. You could come in at any at any level and because we're all so starved for people as we come out of this, um, whatever we've just been through, um, the, the path of growth is so incredibly steep right now. Mm.
1: So what's your advice for how our students can get started?
0: I think the advice is just keep coming to these events. and I, And I wanna get more people from my industry into some of your speed networking. And just to show them, like, what an amazing career exists within this industry. So I'm, I'm, I want to use this podcast with you, and also the upcoming gala, as just some traction to just get some momentum behind this. I know that we've, we've had some small successes, but I really want to get more and more. I want to get Opnet, um, a, a previous guest we had on here, um, is Damon, and he is kind of on the steering committee, for lack of a better word, for a lot of money that's being applied to Howard University and their hospitality program. And how do we tap, and how do we open the eyes of the kids that are going to Cornell or going to Howard or going to wherever that has a hospitality program and create awareness around this? Because I think Mm -hmm. the only way that, the first way that we can change anything is through awareness, Mm -hmm. right? So how can we create more awareness around this? Mm -hmm.
1: That's my question for you. (laughs) Well, (laughs) definitely come to our events, definitely meet our young people, and we should figure out a way to promote your podcast on our learning management system. So our learning management system, we obviously, the whole world went virtual, so so did DopNet. So we Mm -hmm. launched our learning learning management system that has our asynchronous modules, but we also have career talks um, that we... Post on our system, so it's not just for our fellows. So the 1,100 or so fellows that we serve, but it's also for our alumni, and it's available open access to 10,000 students uh, across the nation. And so, if we're talking about access, that's a really easy and meaningful way to you know what
0: I'll go through. Um, that's a great idea. I'll go through some previous episodes and see which ones kind of make the most sense for, uh, creating that awareness. And maybe like, I'll just pick out a couple and I'll send them your way to put them yeah. up there and see what happens. Yeah, let's Actually, that's a great idea. See, that's why you're the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> um, Learned
1: my keep today.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So now shifting gears, like to where we are right now, like what's keeping you up at night right now?
1: Ah, What's keeping me up at night? I think this idea of recovery. Mm -hmm. And this is recovery across all different senses. I think our communities that have been so severely impacted by COVID, loss of jobs, just the transition of jobs and some community members, the loss of caregiving, adults, that's a really heavy and serious one. Um, How do you actually recover from that recovering in terms of your learning, right, having the whole world going virtual and not enough capacity to support virtual learning, both from a hardware capacity, from a teacher training capacity, also from connectivity, right, and so there's a lots of lost opportunity over the course of the pandemic. So how do you recover from that? How do we recover as an institution who has always done in-person face-to-face engagement. And now having gone two years in a virtual setting to recover um, those types of relationships, it's gonna take time, it's gonna take effort. And then how do we, you know, recover as a nation in terms of opportunities and healing and access? And the labor market is feels like the wild west right now.
0: Totally. Well, who, what was your um, teammate's name who's doing the wellness support? Carl. Carl. So what does Carl say about recovery in general? Because I think that that fully ties into just wellness overall, right? Yeah.
1: Well, Carl will have a lot to say. He's super smart, super thoughtful. And a couple of things that I know we that Carl has led in our organization is one, integrating and normalizing and sustaining consistent conversations about wellness. And because we work with young people, first is having them develop their own sense of what wellness means for them. Mm-hmm. And that's different for everyone. Uh, and then having a sense of agency and accessing the supports or feeling that they can ask for help to access those supports. Um, so whether it's you know, getting counseling or going to referral services, whatever the heck it is um, that they feel like they have a sense of agency to ask for that. Um, and one thing you had talked about earlier, but I'm bringing it back. Now you had talked about this unconditional love and support. And so Carl in his field of study, and he actually taught me this is unconditional positive regard. So it's a technical mm-hmm. term is that you hold space for our young people and you always hold them to the highest regard meaning that they can always do better and um, they have every opportunity to fail without the consequences of loss of support just Mm -hmm. because they fail at something it doesn't mean they lose you as a caring adult in their life right and so kind of that approach is woven throughout everything we do at opnet right we hold our students to high expectations we leave them the space to make mistakes and fail because they know there's no consequences that we're going to leave them uh and just because they've made a mistake
0: so we were also before this we start, we pressed for chord we you were asking me how my son's basketball went and he was in this place where he he has he's a good shooter but he he was he was not taking shots he was only running in for layups I was like, why aren't you taking the shots? You have an open shot. And he said, "Uh, I'm going to brick it or I'm going to miss it. I was like, well, yeah, you're going to, for every 10 shots, you're going to miss six or seven. That's okay. You're going to get, if you're in baseball, you hit 30%, you're going to go to the hall of fame. So I love the idea of unconditional positive regard because it's, that's how we learn. It's those failures. That's that. It's making those mistakes is how we learn. And then there's so many instances where, you know, everyone gets a trophy or everyone's kind of has a soft landing, but I think you're also preventing learning from happening when, when, when everyone has a, a mattress to land on, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also interesting to me because as I'm having all these conversations and if I were to word map, like not like the Emma, I guess, in a less sophisticated way that the MIT AI is doing it. Um, But wellness seems to be percolating a lot. And I think think that's also a silver lining that's coming out of this pandemic as well, because, okay, we were all so almost reactive about how we did and what we did, but now how can we write that story going forward again to steal from you, right? Mm. It's like, how can we be more proactive and intentional Which really promotes, I think, overall wellness, if because we're just more mindful about everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that was kind of what's keeping you up at night, and I know we touched upon my my Star Trek future because I'm just like a huge sci-fi nerd. But, um, what's exciting you about the future?
1: Mm, Our young people always, 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 always. They are so fun. They're so bright, and. They make me laugh and give me hope. So always they're young people.
0: I love so much how just laughter, joy, care, fun, all this is just, it's just always oozing through everything you do and everything I'm hearing. And and they are fun if you just let them be fun.
1: Yep, they are very fun.
0: (laughs) Hmm. And then before you started at OpNet, what really drew you to the organization like where were you before who who was island before Mm -hmm. and then how did you get so drawn into it and become such an important part of it like how did that happen
1: so right before opnet i worked in admissions at nyu's robert f wagner graduate school of public service and I, it's the, where I went to get my graduate degree. I love that school. I love the pedagogy and in admissions as the director of enrollment management, my task was to bring in the best in class and, and increase every target in terms of diversity, diversity. And so I did that job for two years. And what I learned through building the recruitment pipelines, yielding the pipelines that met all of our targets was It's too late. It's too late in the game. We're talking about graduate school. And so there are already so many students that we lost along the way because we didn't start talking about public service and and jobs and nonprofit management or policy early enough that folks didn't even know about us. They were going to MBA programs, fine. They were going to law school, but also there's a lot of people that can thrive getting an MPA degree, a master's in urban planning, et cetera. it was just too late in the game. And so that was a big aha moment. I said, like, okay, I'm too late in this continuum. If I really want to serve people of color, I'm a little bit too late in the game. And so OpNet, it was an obvious choice because we started working with students at a young, much younger age and it's entirely young people of color. And we were teeny tiny 10 and a half years ago. So I knew I could have an impact. We were six staff per people and I was the seventh and our budget was small. We served 200 students and I knew I could get my hands on everything and I certainly did. <laughs> so I got the right curriculum, meet with students, do check-ins, you know, write grant proposals, do all of it. And that was 10 and a half years ago. And now you know, we're a $10 million organization serving you know, 1,100 students in New York and another 10,000 across the nation. It's a big change. Wow.
0: And I love like also just getting in and realizing you're too late. And it's all about like, how do you recruit better? How do you start earlier? How do you create? Cause again, you can't change anything unless you have awareness of it. Right. And I've seen it in so many different instances and in just talking to so many of these students where, I don't know, when I was 14 or 15, I didn't know what the heck was going on, but then they asked these questions. like, Oh, I want to get involved in architecture. How do I learn more? I was like, Oh well, there's kind of cool programs you can do that just kind of are explorations of architecture or design. And this, these are the, oh, I didn't know that. And then they look into it. I don't know if they wind up going or not, but at least that awareness is created. And to be able to start so early, it has such a, a much more profound impact. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so starting early. And then how did you wind up getting into it into admissions?
1: I went to the school and I had worked for the Dean another, in another capacity. Um, and so I was a trusted, trusted uh, player and <laughs> a known quantity <laughs> to get into admissions. I knew the school inside and out, right? And I mm-hmm. went through the program. I knew the faculty members and I c- could share with the prospect- prospective students. What I got out of it, and also in many cases, I was able to tell prospective candidates we weren't the right fit. I think that's just, equally, as, equally as important,
0: and maybe even more important because if if they're not the right fit and they're going down that path, it's a, that's a very expensive mistake, sure is. and it's a really long mistake. So to be able, sometimes the negative feedback we get again, it's the from the not that that's a failure. But we learn so much more from negative feedback often like, oh, that doesn't feel good. Oh, that will be suffering than we do from positive.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And then if the island that I'm talking to right now went back to the island that was working in admissions, what advice would you have for yourself?
1: Oh, I would say figure out a way to fundraise for better, bigger, more inclusive scholarship programs. I would tell that version of myself to not work such long hours, <laughs> <laughs> because if you always look down and don't look up, you lose you lose sight of what's important.
0: You lose opportunity and a little bit of humanity as well.
1: Well, you definitely have not, none of those three. <laughs> no and then you're and no you're autonomous. definitely not
0: <laughs> autonomous.
1: You got nothing. You okay. just got a lot of work hours.
0: So maybe you would have given yourself a T-shirt that just said opportunity, autonomy, and humanity, or at least a sticker that would go at your mirror in the morning or something, something. like that.
1: Something. So I just write it with my lipstick on my mirror every morning.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, Island, I'm so excited uh, for May the 4th. I'm so excited to be a part of OpNet in my own little way. And I'm just so inspired by the work that you're doing. And if people wanted to learn more, um, how could they find you?
1: They can find us on our website and they can find me directly on my LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. And we'll put those in the show notes. So Island, um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and being here and opening up the world of opportunity for so many kids.
1: Thanks for having me. And also thanks for being a part of our community. We love having you.
0: I love being there. Um, and I just also want to say thank you to our listeners. I'll have uh, information on the show notes for Opportunity Network, and I'm sure you'll see some posts out there, but it really makes a profound difference in the, in so many students' lives. And it's really all about making others feel comfortable, comfortable enough to so that they can chart their own path forward. And I think we can all learn from these students. So uh, if this has changed your idea of what it makes to feel, uh, or how to make other people feel comfortable and how we all move forward and all progress, please share the podcast with others. And we look forward to hearing from you next time. Thank you.